When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to France Selects a special World Review podcast series on the French election from The New Statesman. I'm Ido Volk, Europe correspondent at The New Statesman. Ahead of the next vote for president in April, I'll be joined by some of the sharpest observers of French politics, delving deep into the big issues shaping the race to lead the EU's biggest military power and its second largest economy. This week, we're talking about how the war in Ukraine has helped Emmanuel Macron present himself as a statesman as he seeks re-election. Mentioning the war in Ukraine, which immediately, in very many ways, just transformed Macron from an incumbent candidate to essentially the leader of the nation and the leader of the armies. And whether the left-winger Jean-Luc Mélenchon could really inch through to the runoff round of votes. I would say that even though the polls suggest that he Macron would beat Mélenchon much more easily than Le Pen, that Macron would much prefer to be in the second round with Le Pen. One thing is certain. This election is not yet decided. No election is ever decided before the day of the vote. To believe that would not only be a political error, but an ethical error too. If we were to tell the French people, move along, nothing to see here, that would be an error. No complacency was the message Christophe Castaner, the leader of President Macron's party in Parliament, was attempting to convey to the electorate less than three weeks out from the first round of the French presidential election. Boosted by the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the incumbent, finally, officially a candidate, has surged in the polls. His qualification for the runoff round is now seen as all but certain, subsequent re-election only slightly less so. If there is a danger to Macron's re-election chances, the president's campaign believes, it is from voter apathy, a sense that the result of the contest is preordained, which would dissuade some of his supporters from turning out on the day. His rivals, by contrast, have been trying their best to put a brave face on the polls. Here's Valérie Pécresse, the centre-right candidate, during a recent TV debate. I am telling you that I will be the second round surprise. You know, I've surprised all my life. For the regional elections, for the primary of the right. I don't know why. Maybe that's just the way things are. I'm a tenacious, determined woman who does not give up. At the end of the day... The one who wins is the one who believes in themselves until the last moment. Vous êtes en... 
But can any of Macron's rivals' messages cut through at a time of international crisis? Just weeks out from a presidential election, the campaign should be on front pages almost every day. But the war in Ukraine continues to dominate the news cycle, leaving little room for day-to-day politics. To the extent that any attention is paid to the candidates, it's often Macron, as the current head of state and commander of the armed forces, who benefits. Here's Marina Osyankova, a Russian journalist who staged an anti-war protest on Russia's Channel 1 this month, turning down an offer of asylum made by the French president. First of all, I would like to thank uh, French President Macron for his incredible offer. He offered to bring me to France. He offered me political asylum. Unfortunately, I won't be able to accept this kind offer because I am a patriot. I want to stay and live in my own country with my family. All my friends are here. And I want to stay in Russia. So before we get on to the main discussion with Catherine Fieschi, the director of Counterpoint, and John Litchfield, a correspondent who writes for the Polisco, the local and others, we're first going to take a look at the state of the polls with Ben Walker, the NS's data guru. Thanks very much for coming back on, Ben. It's been a while since we had you on the podcast. And since then, things have moved a little bit. How are the polls looking right now? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Everything's changed and nothing has changed. Macron is still in the lead by an even larger margin. When we last spoke, it was around about January, February, wasn't it? And we were uh, pointing out that over the course of the past four years, Macron has been in the lead. Le Pen has mostly been in the been in second place. She will always be his challenger in the second round. And today, we've only but what two weeks to go until the first round. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Macron at the moment has around about thirty percent of the first round preference, which is actually significantly up on a few weeks ago. He has had a, a bit of a surge in support following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What has happened? What caused that really is a lot of people now saying they're so another vote. So when we last spoke, I talked about the gap in voter certainty amongst rich, poor voters, amongst men and women. Now that's narrowed significantly. About a few. A month or two ago, the gap between men and women who were certain of the vote was like 10 points. Now it's like three, two. And the vast majority of those women who now say they have an intention to vote are coming out for Macron. We're seeing right uh, an increase in the number of people on middle to upper incomes now declaring greater certainty. And, and this is basically just Macron's base coming out. And then they're, say, they're saying, yeah, we're certain for him. We're coming out for him. We are going to vote for him. There's no uncertainty here. And what we're seeing in the polling is literally his piece of the pie is just expanding as a consequence. His vote is a lot more certain than the rest, really. Yeah, and so Macron's had this surge, which is very clear if you look at places like the NS poll tracker. He's gone from something like 26% before the invasion to around about 30%, as you said, as you said there. But there are four competitors who are vying for second place on these polls and they're all between about 10 and 18 percent do we have a clearer idea of who is looking to be in the second round at this point yeah so the last time we spoke i was to my shame bigging up the possibilities of valerie Pacres, who to say the least she's not doing particularly well right now at the moment it is i'll just read out the actual numbers for you it's macron 30 percent le pen 17 percent jean-luc mélenchon 13 percent eric zemmour 12% and Valérie Pécresse, 11%. Really, it's Le Pen, it, she, she, we, it's only two weeks to go. 
I doubt Melanchon will be able to galvanize enough support to hit her for second place. It is looking more likely than not, incredibly likely, that Le Pen will once again be the second place challenger. She does have, just to repeat those numbers, a seven, six point lead over the third place and third, fourth and fifth place quite tightly put together there. But yeah, Le Pen has stayed stable throughout this campaign. She hasn't really bounced around too much. When Zemo entered the race, her support fell, but she held firm. She's still hanging about them. What is curious to note, though, is a lot of the vote is not exactly declaring certainty yet. There's a potential that the polls could be underplaying her just a little bit, but nonetheless, that doesn't really change the arithmetic much. Le Pen is in second place and probably will finish second place. But nonetheless, there has been a bit of a shift towards Mélenchon in the past few weeks. And there is some talk now that potentially he could pip Le Pen to the second round. He's only on about 3 to 4% behind Le Pen, which if some of the voters of other left-wing candidates who really are in with no chance, you know, who are on 3% or 5% or 7%, choose to lend him their vote as a kind of tactical vote, is there a chance that he could pip Le Pen to the second round? I, I said it, it seems unlikely, but it don't, don't rule it out. It was unlikely that Donald Trump would win in 2016. He had a 30% chance, but he still won it anyway. Yeah, no, I say it's unlikely, but it, the possibility is there. The thing with Melanchon is his favourables, his popularity amongst his own base, his, amongst the, the French left generally, isn't as great as it used to be. The longer he's existed in the public limelight, the less popular he has become. He isn't exactly the best candidate of the left, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Why? The reason he has seen a bit of a surge in recent uh, weeks, and I use, I, we shouldn't really say surge, just a, a, a meagre increase, is because we have had the departure of Christine Taubira and other candidates from the polling equation. And so that's pushed Mélenchon's numbers up quite quite a bit. But uh, to tell you the truth, it would be a big push and I, it would be hard to see that happening right now. All right, Ben, thanks very much. Happy to be here. If you're enjoying France Elects, you might want to consider subscribing. We have a special offer for podcast listeners, 12 weeks for £12 or €12 Euros in Europe. Just go to newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. And you can read all our international coverage at newstatesman.com slash international. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And now, on to our main discussion about the impact that Ukraine has had on the presidential race with Catherine Fieschi and John Litchfield. Catherine and John, thanks thanks very much for coming back on onto the podcast. The kind of obvious place to start is asking how is the campaign going? Because many people in France, it definitely doesn't make the front pages very often at the moment in France, which is not what you would expect from a campaign that's just weeks away, the most important campaign of the French electoral cycle. But clearly, the war in Ukraine continues to dominate headlines. So how is the campaign going? How is it registering in the kind of public consciousness? And Catherine, do you want to go first? Sure, thank you. Well, I think it's a really good question. I mean, the campaign isn't really registering in the public consciousness. I think there are two things. First of all, this campaign comes after uh, COVID. So there were real discussions about how early it could begin, whether the candidates could hold large public meetings and so on. And I think that that, in any case, kind of muted the beginning of the campaign. And then, of course, then came the war in Ukraine, which immediately, in very many ways, just transformed Macron from an incumbent candidate to essentially the leader of the nation and the leader of the armies. And that kind of metaphysical transformation right at the beginning of what would have been the start of an important campaign means that it's reorganized characters in the narrative in a way that gave him a real advantage. He was already far ahead in the polls, but now he's, you know, flirting with 30 or just above 30. And I think that in that respect, the French public went back to what it had been expecting all along, but hoping wouldn't happen, which was essentially, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy that we didn't expect Macron to face Le Pen in the second round. The attempt or the hopes for a more exciting campaign with proper programs, that was twice buried, once by COVID and then again by the war with Ukraine. I find that comparison between Ukraine and COVID really interesting. And I think there are actually a lot of kind of parallels in terms of how it affects politics. There was a lot of talk of how when the pandemic hit, there was almost no space for opposition politics because the only people who really mattered were the government because they were making the decisions. And there was literally no space for kind of opposition politics because there weren't any opposition rallies because there were no there were no rallies, there were no meetings. You could do live streams, but no one really cares. And so if there was a mention of opposition politics in a news bulletin or something, it was an afterthought after the news had been telling the public what the government was going to do, what this particular political leader was going to do. And it seems to me that there's a kind of similar dynamic at, here, at play here too, in that this international crisis, Macron as the statesman and... He's the leader of, as you said, he's the leader of the country. He's the commander of the armed forces. He's the head of state. He's also one of the leading figures in kind of European diplomacy on these issues. And so he's covered as a statesman, as the head of state, but he's also, of course, a candidate and that benefits him quite strongly, I think. John, what do you make of this kind of dynamic? I agree with both of you. I would just say that there are two elements, one which reinforces Macron's advantage on the Ukraine conflict and one that's beginning to undermine it, which I would like to mention. The first of those is the fact that three of his leading 
opponents, that's Eric Zavor, Marine Le Pen, and Jean-Luc Mélenchon on the hard left, all had baggage as being pro-Putin various, to various respects. Zavor, probably the most enthusiastic of the three, but uh, Le Pen took a loan for a state-backed Russian bank last time. She's also been with to see Putin. She's always been very sort of Putin-friendly or Putin-positive in the past. Uh, Mélenchon also, but more because he's anti-German and anti-American, anti-NATO, anti-EU, and therefore he, he supports Putin on the rebound. So in a sense, the three, three, three of the four candidates who might get into the second round with Macron have been ought to have been or have been, Zemmour certainly has been damaged by, by that history. The second thing, though, which is now beginning to somewhat affect the strength that Macron was given from the start of the war in terms of the polls is the effect of the conflict domestically and the effect of prices domestically. And Macron's 30, 31% in the polls has shrunk by a couple of points in the last two or three days. He's down to 27.5 in one, 28 in another. And that's partly just the fact that he's come into the race. And there's always, always that effect that when that president actually enters the race and becomes a candidate, his poll ratings tend to go down a bit. And also he's made one or two somewhat controversial proposals like retirement age at 65 rather than 62. But I think it's partly the fact that people are finding fuel prices at two, two euros a litre and increasing food prices. And not all people, but some people are more worried about the effect of the war on them than on Ukraine. So. Overall, absolutely, I agree that the war almost certainly means that Macron is going to win this election. I think he was quite strongly placed before. It's difficult to see now anyone else winning it. But the last couple of days, it's, there's been a bit of a wobble in the polls in the last day or so. And in terms of his rivals, you've both spoken about the basically four candidates who could plausibly make it to the second round. They're on between 10 and about 18% of ex Lupin, Zimur, Milosevic, and because how are things looking on their side? And coming back to this kind of dynamic of opposition politics, having a difficult time getting a look in at a time of crisis when people look to the executive, the kind of current leader, are they, are they managing to get, to get their messages across? The important thing here is that I'm not sure that anyone is getting heard in the sense that I think that Macron's huge advantage is that, you know, he's been able essentially to do a kind of show and tell. The messages and the strategy that he'd crafted and that he put on the table in September with his France 2030 investment program prior to that in terms of how he has called for more strategic autonomy for the European Union, his calls to NATO, uh, his view of the relationship with the United States, all of that, to some extent, he had laid the groundwork and then the war with Ukraine uh, broke out. And to some extent, he has seemed vindicated in a lot of what he'd been demanding, preaching and encouraging. So I think he was able to do a lot of show and tell. And I think that the others are having great difficulty being heard because in some ways, you know, she had a very narrow path. She's, her big problem was to try and distinguish herself from Macron, which she's struggling with, but also distinguish herself from the far right. So she's inaudible in many respects, no matter what. Marine Le Pen has played it very cautiously, like a consummate politician, I would argue. And essentially, she's riding out the storm, counting on her experience and the fact that that she has become, for better or for worse, a kind of ballast 
in the life of the Fifth Republic. I think that the one that is starting to be heard is Mélenchon, and this goes back to what John was saying a minute ago, which is that the rise in energy prices and the squeeze on purchasing power is probably the only thematic that people are receptive to. And Mélenchon is absolutely going for it. He's gone up by a few points over the past few days. Why? Because he has gone absolutely for those themes. He's been talking about inequality. He's been talking about the cost of living. And in many respects, he's the only one who's doing it. And that, I think, is the only live theme in the campaign today. Speaking about Mélenchon, although Le Pen at this point, there aren't, there aren't a lot of percentage points between, between the main competitors for second, but Le Pen does look on current polls like she will make it to the second round. But Mélenchon has been rising in the polls and um, there are a lot of candidates, relatively speaking, a lot of candidates on the left who are polling much worse than him and have very little chance of making it to, to the second round. And so there's been as you both know, some kind of some speculation that more voters on on the left might go towards him as the, what they call the virtual the useful tactical vote to get a left wing candidate to the second round. People like Sigourney Royal, who was the socialist candidate in two thousand seven, have been quite vocal on this. Is there actually a chance that Mélenchon could just squeeze through to the second round if enough voters on the left decided that they can quote unquote hold their nose and back him, or is that is that too much of a vain hope, John. Well, I mean, it's very similar to the pattern last time, where there was a very similar sort of late surge by, by Mélenchon, who then got into the final four and was not far off the top two, but a couple of points behind all the same. I think there were a couple of differences this time. Well, one is that there, there was a there was not a communist candidate in the race last time. The communists were supporting Mélenchon, and they have now four or five percent of the vote with their own candidate, Fabien Roussel, who's done really quite well in the campaign. I think that's going to be a difficult vote for, for Mélenchon to pick out and take more of. And similarly, there isn't a great deal of other left-wing vote left. When the Parti Socialiste, which is the party of government, as you were saying until quite recently, is down to 2%, that doesn't leave much of the carcass to pick over. And I think that is kind of really the sort of basic minimum you expect and then they'll go the socialist candidate to get. I think there is a kind of hidden vote there, though, of the kind of people who previously were saying they wouldn't vote, who might be inspired to come out for Mélenchon. I think that might help him. I think the other thing that might help him is that Marine Le Pen, interestingly, in about the last seven or eight polls, has underscored the polls, which is the opposite of her father, who used to usually do better than the polls than he would. She nearly always does worse than the polls. I think many people say they will support her and they can't be bothered to turn out on the day. So she falls a little below what the polls are now saying, and Mélenchon goes a little bit up. This day could be pretty well close on, on April the 10th. My feeling is now it will be Marine Le Pen, but I, I wouldn't entirely exclude you know, the possibility that Mélenchon might pick up by a few hundred thousand or a few thousand votes. So we're almost taking it as a given that Macron will face someone in the second round, and that someone is probably going to be Le Pen, might be Mélenchon. And I saw some really interesting polling showing that Macron would win all his potential matchups um, against Pécresse, uh, Le Pen, Mélenchon, and Zemmour. But he wins against Zemmour, against Mélenchon, and against Pécresse by over 60%. But he only wins against Ben by, I think it was 56%, which is about 10 percentage points less than he matched in 2017 when he also faced her in the second round. So I was wondering, what do you make of that, Catherine? Do you think what has long been Le Pen's strategy of attempting to present 
the National Front, her party as a kind of respectable, normal party and her as a mainstream stateswoman. So does this show that strategy has in the long term been vindicated, although ironically for what is frequently viewed as Le Pen's last election? I think that she made a number of choices. She decided to go more mainstream and when Zemmour was on the up, everyone thought that perhaps she'd gone too mainstream and in a sense exposed her right flank, become, become part of the landscape. And essentially for a candidate whose populism dictated that she argued that they were all the same and she was different. All of a sudden, she's looking a little too much like she was part of the cushy club. And now it looks as though the kind of respectability attempt, the mainstreaming attempt is playing in her favor. I think what's playing in her favor is that she is much more of a consummate campaigner than than many of the others. But that's not the case for, for Mélenchon. I think two things with respect to Mélenchon versus Le Pen to face Macron. Mélenchon is a much more difficult and intellectually worthy opponent to Macron. I can see why Macron you know, would prefer to go on the offense with Le Pen, you know, possibly win the debate in the way that he had last time against her, where not to put too fine a point on it, he really wiped the floor with her. I think that would be much harder to do with Mélenchon. But more to the point, I think that, you know, in terms of who's most likely to face off with him and how well they would do, there's a there's an interesting kind of dynamic at play here, which is that for a lot of people on the left, you know, they would really have to hold their nose to vote for Mélenchon because there are a few red lines like the Putin line, the Chavez line, and so on. But nevertheless, you know, he's considered a sort of respectable, if radical, politician. For Marine Le Pen, the fact is that people are not going to hold their nose and vote for Le Pen. She is simply beyond the pale. And she's got a glass ceiling, I think, that so does Mélenchon, but hers is lower. And so I think that what's interesting here is that even though her glass ceiling is lower than Macron's, the fact is that Mélenchon is actually considered a slightly more respectable candidate, but more radical than she is, which is why I think Macron would beat him more roundly than he would Le Pen. All right. Just to wrap up, you're probably both loath to make predictions, but what do you think we're going to see over the last, just over three weeks of the campaign? What would be your view? How do you think things are going to develop, Catherine? I think over the next few weeks, what we're going to see is pro probably Mélenchon occupy more of the space. I think the closer we get to the campaign, the more Le Pen will go on the offensive, also on purchasing power. I think this is going to be a big issue that Macron is going to be faced with. And in, and in these next few weeks, as the sanctions start to bite and probably the energy crisis gets worse and the prices get higher, I think this could go a little bit uh, against Macron and both Mélenchon and Le Pen can occupy that terrain. So I think that we may yet see a campaign that looks as though there is a defense of the people, the populists on the one side, on the left and on the right, and then yet facing Macron. I also think Macron is not going to want to engage very much. Uh, so they'll be mainly talking to each other or to themselves. And John, what do you think we're going to see? For the reasons Catherine say, says, I would think that Macron's present score of between 27 and 29 will will melt away a little bit, but it was very consistent at around 24 and 25 for months before that, and I don't see his score going below that. So he'll, he probably will top the poll on around 26, 27, I would say, on, on April the 10th. 
I would think that in the end of the day, it will be Marine Le Pen who will come second, but it might be very close between her and Mélenchon. And of the two, I would say that even though he, the polls suggest that he Macron would beat Mélenchon much more easily than Le Pen, that Macron would much prefer to be in the second round with Le Pen for the reasons Catherine said, but for another reason, I think that if he's in the second round against Le Pen, he is the centrist candidate taking left-wing votes to defeat the right and the far right. If he's in the second round against Mélenchon, he's pushed into being the right-wing candidate, the candidate of the rich, the candidate who takes right-wing votes, even far-right votes, to defeat Mélenchon. And that might make it much harder for him to govern in the next five years, assuming he is going to be governed. Thank you both for joining me once again on France Elects. That's it for this episode of France Elects. I hope you'll join us next time. Our producer has been Adrian Bradley. Thanks for listening and until next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.